So I had actually prepared a sermon before I left on vacation. And then when we decided we were going to go online, I wrote something different and recorded that. And then since that time, uh, it seemed like every church was, was not meeting. So this is my third attempt at bringing something from the scripture, um, but relevant to our situation. And as I've been thinking and monitoring the news, um, here is where I'd like to, to lead our discussion. Uh, invincible, but don't jump, right? And um, if, if you've heard my teaching before, one of my um, phrases is when it comes to theology and ethics and even decision-making, I have a little phrase, bang around in the box. And by that, I mean, first, what does the scripture say about any given topic? What are the parameters? What's the box of biblical truth that we need to live in? So you've heard, you've heard me before when it comes to the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Um, here would be like the four walls. Um, one would be God is sovereign, absolute control of everything. And God is holy. Uh, he, he cannot be blamed for sin. Man is sinful. And man is responsible. Now, different people try to reconcile these four truths in different ways, and that's fine. There are some who place more emphasis on God's sovereignty, others who place more emphasis on man's responsibility. Um, but what we have to do is stay within the parameters of orthodoxy. So I say, go ahead, bang around in the box. And by that, <laughs> that's, that's how we do theology. And that's how we do ethics. We, we set up our parameters and we, we bang around in the box. So when it comes to this situation we find ourselves in, I'm going to just touch on three, uh, th three main biblical concepts. So rather than bang around in the box, let's bang around in the triangle. Okay. Um, so here's, here's the the main thing I want us to focus on, and I'll, I'll supplement this with two more. Um, I have lost my mouse, <laughs> uh, and I have all your faces over my scripture. So, um, <laughs> but God is sovereign anyways, right? So here, here is a, uh, an interesting verse that I've been meditating on turns out that Elizabeth, without us talking, had been preparing an entire lesson um, for children's ministry for our kids and for another church. Uh, and I said, well, what, what verse are you, are you using? And she said, oh, Psalm 91. Um, so there's just a, a little interesting uh, sovereign coincidence. But here's what it says. He who dwells, and the he is you and I, Christians, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, so that's a, a name for God, 
will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, and this is what we're saying to the Lord, my refuge, you are my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Now, before I, I read on, um, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when I read a verse like that, all the, all the names of God just kind of blend together. And in my mind, I think, okay, this is just talking about God. But it's interesting that actually uh, four different names for God are used to address God in the first two verses. So Elyon, uh, and I know we have a Hebrew expert out there, so you can correct me later, but uh, Elyon is translated the Most High. And what this is referring to is that our God is the most authoritative being in the universe. Kings and presidents and popes and pastors, angels and demons are all under, below his authority. So you could say, he who dwells in the shelter, in the safety of Elyon, the most authoritative one, right, will abide in the shadow, okay, we will rest in the shadow of Shaddai, um, which means the all-powerful one, the almighty. So we, we're finding shelter and we're resting in the all-authoritative, all-powerful God. Kind of brings back the idea a couple weeks ago of, of the mother hen who wants to gather her chicks under her wings, but we're not just finding shelter under a chicken. We're finding shelter under the most authoritative, most powerful uh, being in the universe. And then I will say to Jehovah, the Lord. So whenever you see the word uh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is referring to the name of God. So um, some pronounce it Jehovah, some Adonai, um, but it's translated Lord in your Bible. And it's the name of God. It's when, when God said to Moses, Moses said, who should I say sent me? Tell them I am sent you. That's my name. So here, um, the idea is he's not just all powerful and almighty. He is personal. He's a personal God who has a name, who wants to reveal himself, uh, who cares deeply about us. And then my refuge, uh, we're going to say uh, my refuge and my fortress, my Elohim in whom I trust. And that's the word for God that first appears in the first verse of your Bible. He's the creator God. Um, some have pointed out that that's a plural. Um, and I I'm one who believes that it's a plural when referring to God because God is a plural, not many gods. He's one God, but he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So who are we, who are we finding shelter and rest in? The all-authoritative, all-powerful, personal, loving, creator God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I think that just sets our mind on who we have shelter uh, with, all right? And then he says, 
the writer, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. The fowler is a bird catcher, right? Works with birds. So how would he catch a bird? He'd throw a net. So people are out to trip us up, right? Things are out to trip us up. Satan's out to trip us up. But he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and, look at this, from the deadly pestilence. And then, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all ways. On their hands, they will bear you up. So now we've got the angelic world on our side, right? lest you strike your foot against a stone. And um, I can attest, some of you know that whenever I travel, I get hurt. Um, I've broken my Achilles in the Dominican Republic. I think I cracked my ribs in Israel. Um, so Elizabeth tells me, how many times do I have to say, don't run in foreign countries? Um, because I usually do get hurt. But we went to uh, this foreign country called Arizona, climbed a mountain. My only injury, I don't think you can see it, is a little owie on my, my finger. So um, I think God took care of my feet. Now, here's a question. You say, I, I dwell on this, but reality is Christians do die and Christians do get hurt. So how can this verse bring comfort. So, so let, me, let me throw that out for discussion. If anybody wants to, uh, to unmute and share some thoughts, Christians die, Christians get sick, Christians get hurt, yet here it says we are under the shelter of this all-powerful, almighty, personal, loving God, and he will deliver us from snares and pestilence, and from striking our foot against a stone. Um, how do you find comfort in this verse? I think one way we can find some comfort in this is um, by sort of depersonalizing it a bit. So when the psalmist is talking about those who dwell in the or he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, our tendency is to sort of look at our own lives and identify all those times when God wasn't there for us. Um, and maybe what we really need to look at is, you know, the broader scope of what God has done for humanity, what God has done for those who believe in him, and realize that um, all those who believe in God, who dwell in him, are still around, and that the church will last uh, not because we're anything special or because we're, we're perfect or because we have the right strategy, but because God is standing behind us, making us last. So, so kind of the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Yeah. Um, he can't yeah. snuff us out. Satan. Okay. Anybody else? Any other thoughts? I was just going to say that, you know, we're not promised to um, avoid all of those things. But, you know, what are those things that we can do to give God glory during those times and show our reliance in him? Mm -hmm. So, you know, what, you know, it goes back to the, what men designed for evil, God meant for good. Mm -hmm. And so, 
you know, how do we show our reliance on him when we're faced with something that um, would be otherwise devastating to others? Yeah. Yeah. So, so here's, here's how I process it. Um, first of all, everybody dies, right? And I've said this before, if God is sovereign and he has uh, written the number of days in your book, in his book, uh, you can't go one day before or one day after. Um, so this is not a promise. This is a promise that you are invincible until your appointed day. Okay. And I think you have to factor in, I think Ann was talking about Romans eight twenty eight. Um, when I do break my Achilles or I break my rib, um, I have to believe that God is going to use that for my ultimate good, for his glory and my ultimate good. Okay. So there are, there are with, with umbrella truths, qualifying truths, but I think God wants us to read this Psalm and not live in fear. I think he wants us not to be um, paralyzed by, uh, by all the qualifications, but to walk with confidence that he is able to keep our foot from slipping and to uh, guard us from the pestilence and to bear us up with his angels. Um, we can walk in security and in confidence, uh, trusting that uh, anything that happens uh, it doesn't mean he's out of control. Remember his sovereignty. Okay. Now, here's a here's a trivia question, and you get you as Caleb would say, you get church points if you have the answer to this. Who and you can't answer this, James? Who <laughs> quotes this psalm in the New Testament? Satan. Satan. Yeah. Who's who said that? Shelley and Scott. Shelley and Scott. Yes, Satan quotes Psalm ninety-one to Jesus when he is on the pinnacle of the temple. Um, so here's the other. So the 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 first line of the triangle is um, trust in God, hope in God, find security in God. The the second one is this. So Jesus is up on the pinnacle and the devil said to him, if, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. And now he, Satan's going to quote, he will command, command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. So Jesus, here you go. You have, you have, um, this blanket promise, as Van Halen would say, go ahead and jump, right? Um, what does Jesus respond? Well, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Okay? God is sovereign. He will protect us. But be responsible. Okay? Um, yeah, well, wash your hands and sneeze into your elbow and take precautions and use good hygiene. So uh, here we have, a, again, another one of these uh, uh, attentions of be responsible, 
yet God is sovereign and we can take security in him. And I, I think here's, here's a, a, an interesting application. You need to know where on the spectrum of, um, uh, are, are you primarily a fearful person or are you a reckless person? And I think the fearful need to dwell on, on Psalm 91 and find comfort. The reckless, um, I, I, before I went to bed last night, I was watching a documentary on Evil Knievel. Anybody remember that guy? He, he would jump motorcycles over buses and he broke every bone in his body. I would say evil was a bit, bit, uh, a bit reckless. And some may be that way here, but I, I think you need to find your weakness and move toward a, a healthy, balanced middle, okay? Um, so, so here we have three sides of the triangle, but so far, these sides of the triangle are pretty much all about what goes on in our head. And I think... Um, as Christians and as citizens in a community, we have to also ask, what's, what's my responsibility toward my neighbor? So uh, the third side of the triangle would be love. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and I, I know I've heard all these different opinions, what closing down maybe overkill and is this um out of line um to no no this uh, this is absolutely uh what needs to be done and i all all we know is we're following the guidelines that that we've been given and there's contagion that we have to uh be concerned about we need to take precautions and we need to think outside of just ourselves. We need to think, how do my actions affect others? Um, and I think we as the church need to also, I mean, this is an opportunity to shine. So Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So this is an opportunity to walk confidently, to take precautions, to love others. So here's, here's another thing I'd like to throw out for some discussion. Um, what can we do in days ahead um, as individuals, as a church, to shine, to love? And let me just throw out a couple of thoughts here. Um, and then I'd, I'd love to do some brainstorming. But one, um, check on the elderly. Um, I, I have elderly parents. <laughs> Elizabeth called them yesterday and said, hey, how are you guys doing? Oh, fine. Um, do you need anything? No, we're, we're going to go to church and then we're going to go to Walmart after. I'm like, have you been watching the news at all? Um, but we all have elderly parents. I, I have across the street our, uh, our Heritage Woods people. Now they're on lockdown, so we can't go in there, but we do have some phone numbers that Rita and I can, can use. So 
Um, who can you reach out to? Um, here's another one. Um, if you have personal prayer concerns or others you know about who need prayer, um, send me the prayer request. I'll send it out to our prayer team so we can be in prayer. And I want to spend some time in prayer together. Um, here's another one. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of working moms and dads are going to have kids home from school. And they don't have any arrangement for taking care of them. Is there any way you can reach out and care for um, kids with, with uh, parents who have to go to work? Um, and then, Elizabeth, if you're there, I know you've prepared a prayer guide on Psalm 91 um, that, that we can make available. Do you want to touch on that for a second? Sure. I was supposed to be speaking at a retreat this weekend in Maryland that got canceled, and it was on prayer. So I had done all of this study. And when it got canceled, the women there uh, wanted to work together to create, create a family prayer guide so that families at home could be considering exactly what you, Pastor Brian, had been talking about this morning. So we've worked together, and it's a family worship guide on Psalm 91. And I was going to send it out to all of our D2 families. But again, in God's providence, Brian's doing Psalm 91. I did Psalm 91. Uh, so we're going to make that available to everyone in the church. And it's a way that your family can worship and pray together. Uh, you can just go through the verses bit by bit, bit. You'll talk about protection, boldness, and hope. And it'll give you some things to do as well as to discuss and kind of a way to also pray your way through that as a family. So I'm going to make that available to everyone. Um, how I wrote it for the church in Maryland, I've tweaked it so it fits more of our Valley Brook family, but I'll send that out to everyone or I'll give it to Pastor Brian and he'll send it out to everyone to use as you would. Very good. Good. Yep. Anybody else have any thoughts on, on how we can be light uh, during these times? I wonder if we're inadvertently hiding our light under a bushel. Um, our small group just studied Hebrews 11, uh, where a long list of Old Testament people by faith uh, took action. And I just have this very unsettled feeling that we have... Um, considered caution, but not balanced the caution against faith. And faith was what the Old Testament heroes in chapter 11 of Hebrews allowed them to take action. So I just, I'm looking for the caution and faith balance that lets our light shine, um, and <clears throat> but it's not reckless. We don't want to be like evil Knievel um, who takes risks for no reason. But um, I just think about Christians around the world who uh, face beheading and disease. Uh, the family that we, we support in Togo, operating a hospital uh, surrounded by uh, virulent viruses, the founder dies, the family continues to serve there, and we are shuttering ourselves up 
with when a, a virus described as no worse than the common cold, you know, has us hiding indoors. I just, I'm so unsettled by this whole thing. I don't pretend to know the exact answer, but I'm, I'm very unsettled about uh, the general Christian community response to this. Um, I just, I'm just very unsettled. Well, and, and I, I think uh, that, that that's a very good, um, a good check in your spirit. Uh, and I would hope that our motive would not be fear, but love. Um, and, and I think, you know, I, I think the question is, how long do we do this? And the answer is, I don't know. Um, but I, I think, I think we just have to like that triangle, there's a balance going on there. And the, at this point, all we can do is make sure we're settled in our heads, uh, that we're, we're trusting in the Lord, we're taking precautions. And at the same time, we are loving our neighbors, how, how you bang around in the triangle, uh, may look very different, but yes, let's not be terrified uh, as we walk with the Lord. But good, good input, Kevin. Anybody else? It makes me think of Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, when Elizabeth Elliot's husband was murdered by the tribe they were trying to reach, Elizabeth and her young daughter left for a while. They removed themselves from the situation. And in that situation, then prayerfully considered when she should go back in. And when Elizabeth had to make that decision of actually going back to the very tribe where she was putting in danger herself and her daughter, everybody in her community had all sorts of opinions. Some people said, how reckless could you be? You can't take your daughter back there. Others were, well, theologically, that doesn't make sense. Um, you're not a pastor. Others said, absolutely. Why did you even leave in the first place? If you really love them, you would have stayed there and presented the gospel. And bottom line, Elizabeth Elliot, in her very measured way, said, I want to, like Brian, you're talking about banging around in the box, but individually, I must do what God calls me to do. And while being both wise and faithful, I believe this is the time that God would ask me to do this. And she actually found those who were alongside of her in prayer, supported her. She got a lot of good um, discerning conversation with those who were in leadership with her. Um, Elizabeth found that discerning prayer with guidance from her authority and leadership helped her to make the decision where she was living faithfully to God, because ultimately it comes down to a matter of conscience of which the Holy Spirit as a person within us allows us then to live faithfully the word of God that he has given us within the parameters that he's given us. And it's probably not going to look the same for every single person. But I think if we use her principles of prayer, of wisdom with scripture, and of good dialogue with those that we consider wise and those within our authority and church leadership, um, I think that each of us could probably come to find that place where we are both being reasonable and faithful. But I, I think what Kevin brings up is a great question of what does that look like and how do I know? I find for me, uh, Elizabeth Elliot is a good example. Um, I also have heard a quote that said, 
uh, when we read Psalm 91, we read verse two and it says, God is my refuge and my fortress. And we immediately know that it is a picture of God's strength. But for some reason, when we jump into number uh, verses three and four, we want to take it literally. The snare of the fowler or the deadly plague or pestilence. When really, if we, if we do understand that it's meant to be a metaphor or a picture of who God is, that it is far better to live with God in the midst of trouble, like pestilence, than it is to live a very comfortable life without him. And I think Psalm 91 is saying to draw near to God. And when we don't understand his hand, we always trust his heart. And we trust in who he is when we have to make these challenging decisions. There you go. Those are my thoughts. Good. I'll, I'll throw one more thing in here. I was just reading this morning. I, I read this blog called Farnham Street, and they were talking about second order decisions. And it's something that I've been thinking about as we've made decisions for, our, for the nonprofit I lead whether we should have events on campus or not. We're in a very similar situation as most churches. Um, we have different sized gatherings and different groups of people coming in. And so we've had to decide what to cancel, what not to cancel, what to allow to go forward, those kind of things. But the idea of second order thinking is not just looking at the consequence, the immediate consequence, but looking two or three steps ahead of that consequence. And I think one of the things that um, has been underscored to me this week, um, particularly by my wife has been, it's probably unlikely that I'm going to get sick. And so like I had had travel plans booked, I was planning on traveling, uh, you know, later this month, that kind of thing. And she's like, it's not just about getting sick. It may mean that you can't travel. Like it may mean you can't get back. You'll get stuck at some point and then what happens? And you know, what are the implications for home life when you get stuck somewhere in another city? And so I think we need to be careful not to just make it a very clean cut argument as far as, um, you know, are we, how are we being unsettled here? Because I think it is an unsettling thing to decide whether or not we should or shouldn't, um, you know, do different things. Um, I've had to sort of change my thinking on it, not in terms of the normal bravado I approach things with um, and, uh, and being relatively uncareful. Um, just because I, I do normally feel pretty safe, but also thinking through what I could potentially do to others who are uh, more at risk and, um, and what this might look like for them as I make my own choices. Um, so just a couple of, of thoughts there. And I, I just want to throw out a, a thought here in that um, I think we need to be careful of uh, reading motives of other people who make choices differently than us, um, a, a choice to not go out or to a meeting, don't automatically assume, oh, that's, they're, they're living in terror. No, there, there may be other thinking that goes into that factor other than fear and terror. And those who do choose uh, to take some risks. Some might say, well, you are not being, you're being reckless and you're putting others at risk. Um, but do we know that they haven't considered that and there are other circumstances that we don't know about? So I, I think love um, requires us at this time to just 
be gracious in um, not imputing certain thoughts and motives to everybody else if they do it differently than us. Okay. Well, here's what I'm going to do. Um, oh, by the way, the first, the first point is put your hope in God. Second one would be wash with soap. And the third would be reach out and throw somebody a rope. There you go. Um, <laughs> Way to get them to rhyme. Yeah. So uh, you know what? If you go, what did you learn today? You, you wouldn't remember the verses, but you'll remember hope, soap, and a rope. Or soap on a rope. Um, okay. Can we remember can we order some Valley, Valley Brook soap on a ropes? Yeah. <laughs> this is a good, a good opportunity to... to uh, <laughs> Holy soap. One for every household, one for every household in Caneland. <laughs> All right. I, I, I would like us this was did somebody want to say something? I was just gonna share real quick. Uh, yeah. you know, certainly as the elders considered all this, there were multitude of factors. And one that I just will share real quick is that we looked at our congregation and we looked at the fact that this virus is very um harmful to vulnerable uh, demographics in our society. And we looked at the fact that there's quite a large number of our Valley Brook members who work in areas of healthcare or nursing care facilities, uh, those types of things, or who are caring for vulnerable relatives uh, themselves. So that was just another layer of things that we are looking at as we gather, you know, in terms of second order thinking, James, that's a great term, you know, what uh, implications is our gathering having in those second order uh, areas? So that was part of. Good. All right, so um, here's what, how I'd like to, to conclude our time um, with just with some prayer. And um, let, let me remind us that we, we are praying to Elion, the Most High God, uh, Shaddai, the Almighty God, Jehovah, the Lord, the Personal One, uh, Elohim, the Creator God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here's just some categories. Uh, pray for the world. This, this uh, has affected 70 countries. Um, for the elderly, maybe you know of of uh, elderly in your own family, but uh, I would like some prayer for our friends over there at Heritage Woods, those in our own congregation, um, those who are fearful. And then um, we are told that we are to pray for our government leaders. Um, in fact, I can't see the end of the verse here. Somebody wanna read that who can see the whole verse? I'll read it for you, honey. Okay, good. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may, be that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Right. So pray for the, the government officials that are making decisions. And then, um, finally, we are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Uh, pray that we would be salt and light. Um, so go ahead and unmute 
feel free to pray and then I'll close us up and we'll be done. Jesus, you're the provision for every need, for our health, for our place in heaven, for peace in our hearts. And so, Father, we um, acknowledge that you are the great provider, the great protector. You are uh, the cleft in the rock. You are a high tower. You are a fortress. And so we trust you for our lives and for health. Give us wisdom to make good decisions. Help us show love to our church family and to those around us. <clears throat> and uh, so that uh, ultimately you are pleased with our faithfulness. Father, I pray that in uh, the midst of this, uh, hearts would be turned toward you. Uh, pray that for those who have already been uh, impacted by illness personally or in those that they love uh, as they face the, the grief, uh, the fear that that brings, I pray uh, that hearts would turn toward you, that they would uh, seek comfort in you, they would seek peace uh, and rest. Father, I thank you so many times that you have told us again and again in scripture that our, our greatest defense is yourself. You remind us from the author of Deuteronomy that we are not to be afraid or terrified. We can be strong and courageous because you, our God, the Lord, goes with us. I think of the prophet Isaiah who says, do not be dismayed for I am your God. I think of yourself, Lord, as Christ walking on earth where you told your disciples that you would be with us always, that the Holy Spirit would be our comforter and counselor and he would, he would indwell us. Father, you have so again and again told us that you are the answer and our solution to everything. And as we cling to you, as we run to you, that you will uphold us, you never lead us. And you're the one that allows us to make decisions which are good for um, not just ourselves, but for our community and for our family so that we can be that light in the world. Father, may we not lose any opportunity to do good. May we not allow Satan to have a, a, a foothold in our lives so that we become angry or judgmental or bitter or fearful. But Father, may we have the strength of your spirit to live boldly with your protection as well that we are incredibly wise in all the choices that we make. I thank you for our leadership and for our elders who wrestle with this in conversation and in prayer and ask that you would continue to fill them and to give them great wisdom and discernment. Um, Father, thank you for the technology that you've given us today so that we can actually meet as a virtual church. Um, and while I confess that I have at times made fun of the virtual church, um, it is in times like this that I come to appreciate that technology can be a great tool to bring your body together. So may we even use our technology in ways to reach out to the world and to get your message across to those who are in desperate need of you. And in all things, we thank you for being the God that you are and for all that you provide for us. Father, we turn to you, um, Lord of heaven and earth, and uh, we do ask for you to uh, pour out your mercy 
and uh, bring a quick end uh, to the situation we find ourselves in, um, 70 countries uh, in our country and our community. We do, Lord, think of the elderly um, amongst us. Think of my parents and everybody here as parents or grandparents. Think of our friends over at Heritage Woods, Lord. Um, calm their fears, and we ask for protection um, and keep them healthy. Um, Lord, we do pray for our government officials, um, those who have to make um, major decisions that affect economies and lives. Um, we pray for wisdom. We pray, Lord, that we would, uh, as Christians, process those decisions in a way that glorifies you. And um, Lord, I pray that you would bring to mind even now um, specific things we can do to reach out, to shine your light, to be salt and light uh, in this, uh, in our communities and, and in our church. Um, so thank you, Lord, for this time. Um, thank you, Lord, for each person who could join us, those who couldn't um, remind us that we represent you and we are your body, whom you love. In Jesus' name, amen.